This is Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. And they just kept on coming. We drove them all away, they said. Right. We plundered their houses. Right. And yet they just kept on coming back because they knew that what they had was the truth. Hello and welcome to Theology on the Go. I am Jonathan Master, joined as always by my friend and co-host James Dolezal. And we are delighted to have with us all the way from South Africa, Paul Schleilein, who is a missionary in South Africa and an author. He recently authored a book on John G. Payton. It's entitled John G. Payton, Missionary to the Cannibals of the South Seas. Paul, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I don't know how many of our listeners will be familiar with the name John G. Payton. There's this wonderful autobiography, of course, by uh, the Banner of Truth, also uh, the publisher of your book. So could you give us just a brief outline of who John G. Payton was and why he is a significant figure worth studying? John G. Payton was born in 1824 in the great century of missions, and he was born in Scotland, the uh, a country that even though it's about the size of South Carolina, uh, it was sending out missionaries uh, far outside of its uh, punching power, its weight mm. class. And there was a great missionary fervor uh, in the 19th century for missions. And one of the great missionaries that came out of that nation was John G. Payton. He was actually a very successful evangelist in Scotland, and he went off to the mission field, perhaps a little bit later than most missionaries do, in his early 30s, and that's because he was so successful in his ministry there in Glasgow. And he made an effort to go to the cannibals of the South Seas, in part because so few people were willing to go there. He suffered uh, terribly. He lost his wife, his child, and uh, many of his missionary uh, friends. John uh, G. Payton was called the King of the Cannibals by C.H. Spurgeon. He was mm. contemporaries with George Mueller as well, and really was one of the great missionary titans of uh, missionary history. But his autobiography was published in 1897, and it's about 500 pages. It's a missionary classic. It can't be duplicated. It can't be bettered. But I'm not so sure that it's accessible to many of the normal Christians in the pew. So I wanted to make an effort not to necessarily improve on the autobiography, but to make it more accessible, put it around 200 pages, make it theological re robust, uh, bring out some applications and make it accessible to the person in the 21st century that really needs to learn about the great life of John G. Payton. Paul, you yourself are a missionary uh, in a rural part of South Africa, and I wonder if uh, if John G. Payton played a role uh, either in getting you to the mission field or even even uh, informing through example some of your some of your own approach to your ministry there now. I wonder if you could speak to that. Yeah, biographies have definitely played a major role in bringing me to the mission field. I arrived when I was twenty five years old, and I remember. In high school and in college and in seminary, when I would read these great biographies, I would always be going to the back of the book and marking how old they were when they got to the mission field, uh, how old they were when they were married. I always felt like there was this, this clock ticking and I needed to get to the mission field. 
uh, Jim Elliott and Hudson Taylor and many of these great missionaries of the past really had a great influence on me. I did read Peyton's autobiography before I came, but it was really while I was on the field that it had a great influence on me. Uh, I wouldn't say that the doctrines of grace got me to the mission field, but it certainly has kept me on the mission field. And I think that was the same for a Peyton. Uh, he loved the doctrines of grace, and it was a huge part of the influence in his evangelism. And so as I've gone throughout my years here and I go through suffering and uh, I go through trials and I train my children and I evangelize our people and I think through missionary strategies and how to plant churches, I often think about the life of, of Peyton. Can you outline some of the challenges that he faced? You, you talked about the, the many challenges he, he faced on the mission field uh, can you can you outline some of those? Because I I think some of our listeners who aren't familiar with his his life story would really be be blown away by by what he had to go through in order to uh, communicate the gospel to to these sure. these people. Well, even let's let's just back up. Even before he gets to the mission field, uh, he's the oldest of uh, thirteen children, and um, he was born to a father who was a very godly man and his father always wanted to be a missionary. And for certain reasons, he couldn't get to the mission field. In fact, the Lord called, called him to be a, a manufacturer of, of socks. And that was his, that was his job. And Peyton grew up watching in family worship his father on his knees pouring out prayers for the heathen around the world. And so that was, those are really the footings that were laid early on. Uh, I like to say that it wasn't necessarily a church that sent out Peyton. It was really, it was really his father. It was really the prayer of his, the prayers of his father. Uh, he was poor, had to work hard, uh, got his way through school. Then he started being an evangelist in Glasgow and handing out tracts and and he was incredibly successful, hundreds of people, a part of his ministry. And there was a call for more missionaries to go to the South Seas. And there was uh, some missionaries that had already gone. And there was a, a famous missionary named Williams, John Williams, who had been martyred on Aromanga, which is a part of the islands in the New Hebrides. He was a household name. Everyone knew of, of Williams and his boat dropped anchor off the island of Aromanga and they took a little boat to the shore and the cannibals there within minutes uh, killed him and his partner it was cooked and eaten. And this was horrific it, news spread throughout the world. And of course, back to Scotland. So here's Peyton 20 years later about having a great successful ministry in Glasgow and suddenly he raises his hand and says, I want to be a missionary to that same place. And of course, the famous words from one of the elder men in the church saying, the cannibals, the cannibals, you'll be eaten by the cannibals. I love Peyton's response. Uh, always witty. He was a wordsmith, but he also knew how to speak tremendously well. And he said, 
something like Mr. Dixon, you're well advanced in years now, ready to be laid in the grave there to be eaten by worms. And <laughs> one day if I'm eaten by worms or if I'm eaten by cannibals, uh, either way, I'm going to be raised up in the, in the end in the likeness of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Mm. Many people convinced him not to go. In fact, they even used money to try to get him to stay, or they tried to use certain theological arguments, of course, pulling out verses, saying things like um, the fruit will, uh, or you won't see the fruit to its fruition for the people that you've led to Christ, and uh, you'll be wasting your talents. And he wouldn't listen really to any of it. It was his parents that were always in his corner saying, we have prayed for you since you were a baby. Your father could not go off as a minister, as a missionary, but we've prayed for you that you would go. And so he did. Married a, a young lady, Mary Robson, and she was 19 years old, died within a few months of arriving on the island. He, he buried his wife and his infant boy, um, he married the two of them arm in arm in the grave, one shallow grave. And he said, if it wasn't for Jesus, uh, he would have gone mad. And yet he refused to leave the island. They begged him, please leave the island, uh, get some R&R. And he was afraid that if he, had le- if he left, they'd uh, never allow him back on the island. And so he stayed for four years. Really, his, his autobiography reads like a thriller. He's mm-hmm. always mm-hmm. running for his life. In fact, one of the challenges of the book is just trying to determine what section and what year and what month you are, because almost every page he's running from clubs or uh, killing spears. After four years and many of the missionaries there being killed, uh, he went back to Australia and uh, then he started what he later called the greatest part of his ministry. And that was raising missionary zeal uh, throughout Europe and Australia. He didn't know anyone. He had no contacts. And so he really uh, went after the children and went after the Sunday schools. He had a great gift for galvanizing uh, interest in missions. Then he remarried, went back to Scotland, married uh, Margaret Whitecross, whose father was an author and whose family was in the ministry. You can still read her account of the mission field still published by manner mm-hmm. of truth. Right. Yep. If, uh, if Peyton's biography, it's kind of the testosterone laden, uh, action packed version of the mission field. Hers is, hers is kind of the high definition, uh, female view of the missions. She, <laughs> she talks about whale sightings, a sipping on tea until they were uh, almost besides themselves and laughter. She talked about letters that they would get 40 pages long and they would just binge all night reading these letters. She would talk about <clears throat> mothers and uh, wives walking up and down the shore, looking into the horizon because they were carrying one of their, their sick children and uh, wondering if a, a boat would come that could take them to, to safety. So she gives kind of the family view side and Peyton, I think purposely gives just kind of the ministry side. I think they complement each other wonderfully. Uh, and, and then they, they had the most productive part of their ministry later on another Island called Aniwa 15 years where they really saw a lot of fruit. He tried to return to Tana and it didn't work out. He went to Aniwa and and saw many people come to Christ. You mentioned earlier that 
there were these theological uh, foundation stones that that kind of uh, bolstered his his ministry. Um, he was so committed to the doctrines of grace. How how did that manifest itself in the course of his ministry? Well, of course, uh, the doctrines of grace are biblical and uh, so p- important to our evangelism. Uh, e- even in my own ministry, if I could just talk about that for a moment, I don't know. I don't know how I could survive knowing that it was up to me to ultimately bring that person to Christ. Mm. Uh, how many times have I gone down the trails and set up meetings for the tsongas that we're ministering to? And how many times have they not shown up? Or how many times have they just seemed completely indifferent? How many times have they been like the first soil in Mark four? <laughs> I say, their hearts are hard and Satan is snatching up the seed um, before they even hear it. And yet I know that it's the doctrines of grace. It's God's prerogative to save. It's our responsibility to give the gospel. It's our responsibility to make it clear. It's our responsibility to pray that the Lord would save the lost. But ultimately it's the saving work of Jesus Christ. And really, uh, that missionary fervor was spreading all throughout Reformed churches in, in Scotland, and it wasn't just John Payton. You think about the St. Andrews Seven uh, right. at St. Andrews in, in Scotland and those six young men that were just swept away with missionary zeal, again, centered around uh, Reformed theology, and it was the influence of Thomas Chalmers and his teaching on the doctrines of grace that really had a great influence. So oftentimes, not every time, but oftentimes when you see missionary zeal, especially in the 19th century, uh, it was really the doctrines of grace that said, God is going to do a great work. And it takes the pressure off us because we're going to be faithfully giving the gospel um, and God will do his work. I think of the story in Corinth where Paul was there and he wanted to quit and perhaps wanted to move on. And then it says that Christ came to him in a dream and he said, remain here because quote, I have many people in Mm. the city. And then Paul remained there for 18 months. So it was actually the assurance that God had his sheep there in that village, in that city that made Paul stay And in my own ministry and in Peyton's ministry, he knew that God had his sheep and our responsibility is to faithfully give the gospel. It's not uncommon that you you find perhaps critics of the doctrines of grace uh, that take precisely the opposite view that the doctrines of grace will will cool our desire to proclaim the gospel uh, and and keep us home uh, and keep us silent. Uh, and yet, hmm. and yet, the perspective you're giving uh, from one who's on the mission field and who is who is uh, adheres even to the same doctrine as as Peyton did that in fact it it does it takes that burden off of us and it says uh, that we are we are heralds used by His grace but the the increase and the the fruitfulness is the Lord's. Yes, exactly right. I mean, I think of you know I think of the the. Uh, passage in Acts 13, where it says, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. 
what a what an assurance uh, even today and i've had numbers of of bible studies of various men in the village meeting with us and what an assurance it just gives you a confidence it puts mm. wind in your sail knowing my responsibility is to faithfully present this but i know god has his sheep i know the lord wants to save people even more than i do even jesus's words that you know he has other sheep who are not yet of this fold that there are that there are those for whom the shepherd laid down his life that yet need to hear the gospel and be brought in through that god ordained means yeah and of course it's not uh it's not robots either there's still of course is a responsibility to believe right i think of the example in acts where paul guaranteed all of the hands on deck uh that during the storm that there would be no loss of life hmm. i think this is acts 27 and yet he balances that with the warning that unless the men stayed in the ship they couldn't be saved how, right. how do you put those two together you put those two together by saying God saves practically through evangelism. God uses means right. to carry out his will. At the very end of your book, you try to draw out some of the lessons of Peyton's life, and, and you've mentioned some of them already, but the last one really struck me. Um, you say, Peyton, a model of dogged evangelism, that what he did was he 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 was he was persuaded that no matter what the cost was he was going to obey what god had commanded him and and proclaim the gospel to these people and uh, that that was that was such a powerful way to end because it captures the action that you spoke of in the autobiography where there there's always something happening and there's always something happening that could easily uh, from a human perspective lead someone to give up all hope but he was he was persistent in his evangelistic work. Yeah, and I like that word persistent because that sweet synthesis of the divine election and yet tenacious evangelism. And those 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 natives there, they weren't foolish. They they were clever. They saw that they had ran off the missionaries and yet they kept on coming. This one more sail they see in the horizon. They just kept on coming. We drove them all away, they said. Right. We plundered their houses. Right. And yet they just kept on coming back because they knew that what they had was the truth. When I hear that, I feel convicted. I feel humbled. I say, I need to be that way. Hmm. How often do I, I mean, even for our listeners in, in the setting of, of the Western world, we make an effort or two to give someone a gospel. I mean, we're, we're turned off if someone doesn't take our tract. You know, we just say, that's the end of it. But these missionaries had given their lives. They, they gave their wives, they gave their children. And when they run off, they remarried. They had mm -hmm. more children and they just kept on coming in waves. What a testament to the truth of the gospel. and What a testament to that kind of tenacious evangelism. Paul, thank you so much for your work on this little biography. Our hope, like yours, is that it will lead people to uh, a greater fervor for the gospel and also, uh, on a smaller level, that it will lead them to, to read more about Peyton, not least that autobiography that you mentioned earlier. Thanks for your work on the book, and thanks for your time with us today. Uh, thanks for having me, brothers. appreciate it. James, I, I almost feel as if anything we're going to say after that is... It, it would be a, a letdown. This is a guy on the front lines 
and spoke with such clarity and fervor about someone who spoke with such clarity and fervor who was also on the front lines. What could you and no, I possibly no, say? No, nothing. I, I think I think John Payton has been um, has been given a good turn by Paul Schleilein with this biography because he's it's certainly someone who has the same. I think did he did Paul call it adrenaline packed? Yeah, uh, his by well. Paul certainly has uh, has some of that adrenaline himself in communicating the message, not not just the story, though certainly he's good at that, but also the uh, the doctrine and the convictions that animated the man and, and animates missionaries, including Paul himself now. Yeah. So the two books we want to commend to you, number one, the book we were specifically discussing today, John G. Payton, Missionary to the Cannibals of the South Seas. It's a small little paperback, very accessible. Uh, it's a banner of truth book. And then also, if you're if you want to dip into a little longer book, but a, just an outstanding book, uh, the autobiography of John G. Payton, also published by the banner of truth is is well worth your time. We didn't get into this during our discussion, but actually that book, uh, John G. Payton, the autobiography has just these beautiful passages about his family life. He mentioned his mother and father in the interview. And Paul rightly called it a classic. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and, it, right. and it certainly is. Now, if you'd like uh, to uh, enter to win a free copy of John G. Payton, Missionary to the Cannibals of the South Seas, you can do that by going to placefortruth.org the Theology on the Go link, and there will be a place for you to enter there for the possibility of winning a copy of this book. But if you don't win, we'd urge you to purchase it anyway. What an encouraging volume it is. And we're grateful, as always, that you listen and that you give us some of your time. If you know of anyone else who might benefit from this podcast, please pass it along. Uh, you know you can get it at placefortruth.org or any other places where you'd normally download other podcasts. If you can support Theology on the Go or the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, there's a, a way for you to do that on AllianceNet.org or PlaceForTruth.org. And thanks, as always, for listening to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth.